the curious lawyer, asking the legal questions you want to know the answers to. So I'd like to introduce you to Nicole Agabi. She is a lawyer in property and estates. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you, Pip. Now we're going to dive straight into this interview. So you get to know a little bit more about Nicole and the way she works and of course, why she does what she does. Now explain to me this whole thing about being a lawyer. How long have you been doing it for and why did you start your business? Uh, The whole thing about being a lawyer. Well, the original concept, um, as I was taught at uni, um, comes from the word, um, attorney comes from the word atourner in French, which means to stand in front of. So the whole point is to stand in front of your client and represent them. Um, And so that was quite intriguing to me to be able to assist people Um, with whatever law it was that I was going to choose. So why I became a lawyer was uh, there was some interesting aspects happening in my life at a certain period of time that um, I, well, like I said, interesting aspects that that led me down that path. So originally I was uh, a scientist. I started in forensics and um, as an assistant and moved on to IVF. And then those interesting aspects of my life um, came about and that's what led me into law. I decided to study law just because I was interested. I'm a little bit of a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) And um, uh, once I was getting close to the end, I just decided to switch over and practice law. So, um, yeah, I, do, I did want to combine science and law somehow, which I eventually did and we can talk about that a little bit later. But um, uh, I ended up practising in law, um, doing a few different uh, areas, which I did not like. Because <laughs> there's quite a few number, like it's quite a number of specialisations out there or individual sort of pockets that you can get well, involved in. When you think about it, there are, but when... You, uh, someone learns that you are you practice in law, they automatically think that you know everything about the law, and of course we don't know everything about the law. So, uh, a lot of the times it's criminal things. Can you get me off this ticket? I'm like, I don't do criminal law. I don't know, but I know someone who does. So, um, it it's always best to be able to have experience in a few select areas of of law. So. And also in any job that you have, it's important to enjoy what you do because when you enjoy what you do, you're going to give the best outcome for um, your client, your patient, your customer, whatever the, the person is that you're there to support. So let's talk about that and tell me how is it that you help your clients? Well, the um, areas of law that I practice in is primarily property matters and estate matters. So um, most of my clients, the demographic is going to be individuals, a lot of the time seniors when it comes to estate matters. Um, It would be nice to uh, try to draw um, uh, individuals of all ages because especially the younger crowd don't um, seem to see the importance of estate planning Um, and um, the property. That's more the younger crowd, the first homeowners, um, also 
um, the mature as well who are, for example, downgrading or retiring. Um, but there's also business clients uh, for small businesses, retail commercial leases and um, sale and purchase of business, things like that. Um, so I'm, I do stay out of the major corporate world um, but that's more the demographic. In terms of how I help them is that um, just try to do the best job that I can for them in uh, with the thought in mind of if I was the client, what would I want? Because mm. you've got a really unique way that you approach it as well. Yeah, the way I approach it is, um, like I said, um, the way I would want to be treated um, and that work ethic has landed me in a bit of hot water at um, other workplaces, um, which is um, not the reason but part of the reason why I did go out on my own. Um, I'm often told your ideas, the way you want to do things, that's not how it's done. Um, is that an ethical For me it's line? ethical. Yeah. yeah. But a lot of people seem to think um, that's how the world works. Um, we're just going to be the sheep and follow that. Mm. I'm not that type of person. If if it's working and I see that it's fine and there's no ethical issues involved, all right, I'll, I'll follow. But if I can see something can be done in a way that I would prefer if I was the client, let's try it. Why not? Okay, so what's one of the biggest challenges that you face in your business life? The challenge at the moment for me is uh, still trying to build a name. The perception of a lawyer for mo most people is, oh, you're a lawyer, I'll stay away from you, um, I have to be careful what I say, things like that. Um, and I'm really trying to work hard on getting away from that idea, that the, the idea that people have about lawyers, um, and I don't blame people for having having that. Um, thought, they, well, they think very mind. litigiously, don't they? Like about who's at fault or at blame and liable, and yes, except that's not the area of practice <laughs> I'm in. Um, I'm here genuinely trying to help people, and at the end of the day, I want to enjoy what I'm doing. I want to uh, make sure that I'm doing the best that I can because. I need to um, uh, be happy with uh, those eight hours minimum in a day that I'm giving to someone or a few people in a day, whatever whatever the case may be. But I need to be able to know that I'm living the life I want to live um, in the most ethical way that I can and apply that when I'm at work as well. But there's no, for me, there's no I'm at work, okay, so I can be the ruthless person that lawyers are expected to be. I don't want that. I mm. want to, I want to be the the lawyer that well people are paying for and they expect. Uh, and just on that, um, how do you instill that confidence in your clients and then build the trust? What is some of the strategies you use? Um I do like to um, spend time with my clients and get to know them and I think that that's what builds rapport with the clients. Um, so I'll give you an example. When I, say, take um, estate planning instructions, we're taking instructions for wills and power of attorney and guardianship, 
that will usually take me approximately um, an hour and a half. And sometimes we're just having a chat. Um, but I have asked a few of my clients um, when, when they've indicated they've spoken to other lawyers and done the same thing. And most of the time they're telling me those instructions normally take 20 minutes, which I find incredible. I, do, I don't know um, how someone can can give advice in 20 minutes. You know what? It might be a skill that I just don't have <laughs> to get to know someone in 20 minutes. Um, if they can do it, good for them. Um, let me know who you are and teach me what those <laughs> skills are. But um, I cannot possibly get to know someone in 20 minutes. When I hear certain news from them, like my clients call me up or email me and tell me certain things going on in their life, nothing to do with law because for some reason they want to tell me and that's fine. Well, you um, become like in a confident really then, aren't you? Like it's, Yeah, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And they want to know my news as well and some of them um, see me on Facebook and um, uh, there's one person I'm thinking of in particular and um, she she messages me and says, you know, how's things progressing with you and um, it's got nothing to do with law. The whole mm. idea is to establish a friendship and a relationship and build that trust. Mm. Um, I love that topic too. So we'll dive into that a little bit later. Um, so where is your brand sitting now and where do you see it in five years time? So now we are, we've just had our third birthday. So, um, probably birthday is not the right word, but I, I like it. Let's, mm. let's go with birthday. Um, and three years on now, um, it's progressing slowly, but surely. And I have heard before, um, go too fast and and um, go, go um, succeed too fast and you'll you can fall too too quickly as well so um, slowly but surely that's giving me um, some confidence in what I'm doing I hear from a lot of the new clients coming on I've heard so much about you that you've got really good recommendations um, and sometimes I see these recommendations online as well um, which tells me, I'm achieving the goal, what I was initially saying before. So talk to me about that. Talk to me about the success and how you measure it. How I measure it? (laughs) Because that's a really good measure of success. Oh, I suppose it is. I don't really sit there writing down numbers or anything like that. But um, I know that I'm doing a good job because of the, the comments that people are saying directly to my face or... Um, The comments I see online when, for example, someone asks a recommendation for a local solicitor Um, and it's not just sometimes saying, oh, contact Nicole at Ellison Legal, it's uh, Nicole did this for us, Nicole took the time um, to come to our place after hours or um, explained it really well and doesn't talk to us like we're stupid or something like that because that's a really important point is not to assume people know what you know and um, talk in plain English really. Mm. But um, so in, You become literally the interpreter between law and the lay man. Well, going back to the definition of artourne, mm. yes, that's exactly what you're doing. Um, and that um, particular investment of time, talk to me about how you run your business around that because it's quite unique. I can't build that time um, and that's where a lot of law firms will see a loss. Um, I don't see a loss. I see it as building that friendship and building that relationship. 
it's a long-term investment um, and it gives me pleasure. Because you, you do yours people. in packages, don't you? You sort of do that whole yeah. set fee. There's no extra bits for this, this and this. It's literally Look, you're going to get the whole some, package. Unless something turns litigious or changes drastically, and I do tell them that, but, but yes, it is included in that. It, the, the whole idea of giving that fixed fee is to give that comfort to the client coming on board that if you need to talk to me, talk to me. Don't sit there thinking, is she going to ch- charge me for every six minutes? Because that, as I said, I do everything on the way that I would want if I was a client. I certainly would not want that. Um, do you have any idea where that came from, the six-minute billing? The six minutes is breaking down 60 minutes in an hour into 10. So every six minutes is one unit. Um, so that's that's where that came from. Um, I don't know the truth of this, but I, I heard it's an American thing that came to Australia and I think it originally started with accounting, I think, and then it was It must be a productivity thing, is it? Like they... Well, I mean, to me, it, it, it must be, but to me to think that someone sitting there counting time means you're putting dollars or whatever currency you're in in whatever country over your client. Mm. And, again, our tourner <laughs> standing in the place of your client is not achieving that purpose. Mm. It's interesting. Um, so in, in regards to that, what do you think your greatest strengths are in terms of your personality and the way that you're running your business? This is always a hard question to answer. It's because you're humble. Yes. <laughs> I don't think anyone likes to think too much of themselves. Well, any humble person would like to think too much of themselves. Um, I think um, a greater strength that I have is uh, when I sit down with a client and I listen to what they're saying, what I'm receiving from my clients is that and they tell me this, that they're receiving a genuineness coming from me. Um, a new client I met a week or so ago, um, she used the word integrity. And I thought, wow, that's that's actually quite nice that what I'm trying to, trying to achieve, she's actually said, so that that was nice. Well, considering it sits in the justice space, people do want that. They want transparency and they want someone to care about them and, you know, address their concerns. But I think you've had a, a very strong ability to be able to communicate. Um, you listen to what they're saying and then you're able to bring it back to them and go, okay, is this what the concern is? Like you're able to sort of synthesise all those thoughts in their head. Yes, I think um, <clears throat> I think I do a good job of that. Um, I'm sure many in my family would highly disagree. <laughs> but... Um, I think the way we talk with our family is always going to be different the way we talk with um, non-family members. And you're a problem solver, you know. You're a solution-focused problem solver. That's what it looks like. Yeah, well, well, um, yeah, when I'm I'm doing work I'm trying to um, nut out what certain issues are. um, and, And when I do discuss these issues with my clients and I'll say, okay, just hold that thought for a moment, let's just go back to X, and then we'll weed something out there and then we'll continue on. And I do find when I talk to clients they do have a respect for that um, and then they it, 
clients are generally easy to follow when you're setting them a path mm. of which way we're going. Um, but like I said, with family, it's like, no, don't talk to me like a lawyer. <laughs> so, well, and it's hard. You've been trained in mm. that. Like, it is hard, but it, but it's actually effective because sometimes you, you've been taught skills and they work. And <laughs> I think sometimes when you're trying to use those skills that actually work, it comes off as, um, um, trying to take over and that's not the intention. Well, interestingly enough, I was having this conversation with someone else the, the other day about how both police and judges and um, lawyers all have this, they're, they're trained in coercive control and command authority, all of that sort of stuff. So you tend to adopt that language. Is that yeah. what it's yes. what you're talking about? So it is. It's the fact that you can say something quite articulate and it compels people to either answer or to Gather yes. the information yes. that you want. So and, and you and I are very similar in that because yes. we, it's we, it's not deliberate. Like we're not trying to be controlling or but we're trying to, yeah. But unfortunately it's perceived that way. Yeah. When you're acting for a client, um, they're putting that trust in you and so it's easy for them to put that wall down. But when it's a conversation with um, family, it's it comes across as um I'm trying to defend myself and attack mm. at, at the same time. And it's not. It's literally, can we just weed this out? And it just doesn't come across that way. So it's really, really hard <laughs> to to separate that out. It's just almost impossible. Yeah. Well, it becomes a communication style, which is it part is. of your personality. So. It is. So now my <laughs> my approach is, okay, I'm going to go in for it once. If it's going to be taken the wrong way, I'm out. Just do your own thing and I'll do mine. <laughs> So it's only all of that I can do. Um, now you've, you've got this, uh, you've gone into this great space of, you know, being a lawyer and all of that sort of stuff and you you see a part of the world that, you know, probably a lot of people don't see. What's the one thing that you would change if you could? In this world and the way that businesses run yeah. in this world. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I like watching the videos a lot of Simon Sinek on LinkedIn and he comes up and says some things that um, are in my mind in terms of how this world ideally should be, and he's got this incredible way of articulating it that I would never have known how to articulate. So if anyone's interested, watch his videos because it, it's just so incredibly inspiring. Um, but the nut of all that, I suppose, is... Uh, what I was saying earlier, don't be that sheep that says, oh, that's the way it is. And a lot of the time it's not just that's the way it is. It's we don't like it but that's the way it is. Or um, we don't, we, this is how we benefit. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of it is around somebody benefits from the way that it is. Yes. And everything's about me, me, me. Mm. And when everything's about one individual person, Everyone else suffers for it and um, that's what I would change. <laughs> well, I, I put that down to um, intentions and agendas. So everybody's got them. Yes. You've just got to work out what, they're, what they are. Yes. And most of the time the people who do uh, work like that get what they want because that's the most effective way of getting what they want. Mm. And when you've got uh, people like me who do stand a ground of uh what I believe is ethically right. It might not be the same as what someone else believes, but 
what I believe is ethically right, um, not just for my own benefit but for the people around me, um, it's it's very hard for it to work. Mm. But it doesn't mean I can't try. That's right. <laughs> Persistence. Okay. Um, I think we've I think we've discussed your ethics quite clearly. But is yes. there anything else that you would <laughs> you would say about the way you know because it, it is such a high conflict space that you're in where it's always against, you know, there's always opinions and agendas and um, is there anything else around that that you would want to change or that you would want to say about it so that people understand where you come from? I think um, in it really does also depend what area of law you're in Um, and some of the areas I was in, it's really, really hard to apply ethics in those areas and especially when you're working for someone. Um, and, and that's landed me in a lot of hot water a number of times. Um, so I suppose it's more of a message out to, uh, the students studying law and the graduates trying to get in. And I see this a lot on the lawyers, Facebook groups, they comment a lot, got this new job, but I'm being treated so badly or, um, I've been told to do X and I don't think this is right. Um, so, so what are you saying there? Is there is there a degree of autonomy that you do and don't have? In my work, I, it's my own business side. So yeah, but like even in the lawyer world, is there um, clearly if you're working for someone else, you're actually under a lot of direction. Or for the client? For the yeah, or for the or for the student that you're talking about. Oh well, the student would be working in a law firm, and they would be instructed on what it is that they. Hmm. Um, need to do it's they, they wouldn't be working as a lawyer if they're still a student but but the point is is that they they're either being treated badly um and this isn't just verbal abuse like there's even um you know we've seen it all over facebook mm. all these claims of sexual harassment mm-hmm. and everything like that as unwanted well unwanted attention yeah um and people a lot of the responses and i really don't like this a lot of the responses are that's the way it is. You just got to go with it. Or I went through it. Why shouldn't you? <laughs> I'm just thinking, no way. You can't, cannot be saying that to someone. Um, so yeah, for for the law students, um, I would be saying, um, don't don't give up. Um, there are some good places Changes out there. Changes coming. <laughs> well, there is a change coming, coming, isn't there? I keep saying that. Um, but um, I would not be sticking in a place where. That those issues are happening. Some people don't have a choice. They need to pay their rent or mm. mortgage or whatever. Mm. And that's the bubbling on the top. You know, you, you wonder if it's going on at that level, then how deep does it go and um, it sort of does it border into corruption and, you know. The whole world's so- corrupt, isn't it? <laughs> but, um, but in terms of uh, the, what I was saying about um, find that place that fits you, people are, f- are afraid of losing their job. Um, now that we have had this coronavirus pandemic, um, that's really um, solidified what I've said way before then mm. is don't be afraid to lose that job because we've, I haven't, I've got my own business, so thank, thank goodness it didn't happen to me. But many people have lost their jobs and, know, and, and have landed on their feast. Mm. So granted the government came in and helped people, but the but at the end of the day you will survive. Mm. You'll find something. Yeah, because if you stay in that toxic environment, 
you, you might be still getting your money, but you're really deteriorating your health. Mm. Now tell me, where did all this sort of ethical consciousness come from? That's been there since I was little. <laughs> it's always been there. Um, I've always needed to do the right thing and I was always, um, I was the dibber-dobber at school. <laughs> it's just in me. Okay, all right. To my detriment. <laughs> yes. Um, I was going to say because it, it's something that's quite admirable just to be that ethical and, you know, be able to live within that um, th- that's a stream, I guess we call yes. it. Um, it's very hard. You <laughs> suffer a lot because of it. Yeah. So how do you prioritise your values? Like what what is it that sort of um, enables you to stay on that path? If I know that I'm hurting someone, and I'm not saying I haven't hurt people, I have, um, but I can't say I've hurt someone with intent. Um, and when I found out that I've hurt someone with intent, um, you apologise um, and you try to smooth that over and th- there was no intent there. Yeah. So so talk to me more about this because I think that's a big thing in the legal world where if you do apologise, you are then um, admitting some level of, you know, guilt or wrongdoing, which then leads down the whole what's yeah. the compensation of that. So, you know, that would be really difficult because as for me, for me, I think that apologies are very powerful. They're actually much more powerful than any money that is going to be put into your bank account from a compensation claim Yeah, for the actual person. Yeah. Well, usually um, I, I was more thinking in, in my life, not so much at work, but, yeah, you're, you're right when you when I think about, um, needing to apologise at work, say to a client, um, you know, I don't, I don't know why something wasn't done correctly. I don't know, it's mm. errors in a document or something. A lot of people get really annoyed, errors in a document. Um, but I've always said, oh, so sorry, I just missed that. It's an, you know, admin error, we're all human. And I say that because it's true. We are human. I can't always spell things correctly or people's names are, are wrong or I might have wrote down a note to include something saying a will and I've missed it. Um, mm. But that's the whole point of why I'm giving it to you to check. Um, so th- I, I do also try to make my clients accountable. You need to check me too because this is your document. You need to be happy at the end. Mm. Um, check it. Yeah, there's a level of co-responsibility there, isn't there? There between, is. In that relationship. There is. Like I know that I'm being paid for the service but you also need to um, um, keep keep your eye on me as well. But as long as there was no intent to try to cheat someone out of something. All right, so I'd love to know how you deal with distractions, confrontations and disappointment. <laughs> So let's oh, start with distractions. Distractions. I'm laughing at that because I don't deal with distractions very well. I get very distracted. Um, yeah, I don't know. I might be working on a file and then a client will call me out. How have you got a couple of minutes? Yeah, I do. And, and, you know, half an hour later we're still talking. <laughs> um, but like I said before, I, I enjoy talking to my clients. And, I, look, I, I do think it's still important because it's still part of the process of getting to know them better. Um, but in terms of that, say, taking the time because it is a distraction, um, just um, work a little bit later. Mm, yeah, work on weekends. It doesn't matter. Um, it, look, if I had staff, I'd, I'd look. I don't expect them to to do all out of hours. 
Um, I'd probably expect them not to be so distracted. But then again, having said that, if a client needs to talk to them, talk to them. We just need to manage the time, manage the workload. Yeah. Um, but me on my own, I'd just put in extra time if I need. Um, so let's talk about confrontation and how you deal with that. So there are always going to be some some situations where someone wants to raise an issue and um, I am a pretty sensitive person so it, it does come um, sometimes in a way where it does feel confrontational. Sometimes it is confrontational, sometimes it's within me it's confrontational. But, um, look, the way that I deal with that is going back to the ethics, is being as open and honest as I can um, and just trying to resolve the issue, find out exactly what the problem was, can it be fixed, um, what is it that the client's trying to achieve um, and work with that. Um, I find that if I'm trying to, if, if the client sees that I'm trying to find a resolution and um, I'm happy to amend things as we go and work with that, it sort of diffuses the the situation, puts the flames out a little bit. I think um, if I um, went into a shop and, uh, I don't know, you, you see people getting cranky with staff members mm. all the time, which really annoys me, but um, that they might have every right to feel that anger. They don't have every right to express it, but they might have every right to feel it. Um, but what will fuel it is the response. So I think what's important is how you react to someone raising an issue with you. Mm. It's what you can control yourself. You can only ever control yourself. Mm. You can't ever control um, how someone reacts, feels, thinks, none of that. Yeah. So talk to me about disappointment. Have you had any and how do you deal with it? <laughs> I have. Um uh, it was more centred around um, I needed to comply with certain procedures, which I put in place, um, and it, I, I don't want to give specifics about it because I can't, but um, it was a certain procedure I have in place, which I know not every law firm does, but I like to do this certain um, tick box um, and a client had an issue with it and I'm... Um, trying to get around that the client found it quite difficult and I did everything I can and this went on weeks just trying to help the client get around that got too hard for the client which um, basically ended up with um, I said to the client look if you're not happy that's fine I'm not going to charge you for any of this you're, you're happy to find someone who you feel more comfortable with mm. And was that disappointing for you or was it the disappointment for her or like what was the? For both of us, I think. Yeah. It was disappointing for me because I did feel like I did fail. But again, I didn't want to compromise on this procedure I have in place and I have it in there for a reason. Mm. Um, and I think it was disappointing for her because she probably felt like she wasted time and not resolving the issue for the client. Um, I did explain to this person that it was going to cause um, a lot more issues later on down the track and not just with what I was trying to assist with but with other things it would cause issues but that advice was being ignored. And it's really hard to uh, to assist a client who doesn't want to, they can hear the advice but they're not accepting it. Mm. And if you're not on the same page it's not going to work. 
And you need to recognise that rather than saying, what can I do to keep the money in? No. If, if, it's, if the relationship's not working, you need to um, set them off to somewhere that they do feel more comfortable with. Mm. Okay. So last couple of questions are what advice would you give your younger self? Oh. 16-year-old Nicole. <laughs> I'll tell you, maybe you can weed something out. Um, I would have said stuck to your guns of being a school teacher. <laughs> um, and our law student Nicole, I would have said um, make sure you get a job early. Tell me what keeps you focused on the goals that you've set for yourself. The ethics. That, that grounds me. That really grounds me, having um, ethics and uh, keeping everything honest. Um, that's, like I said before, that's what I centre everything through. Um, and it actually holds me back quite a lot with what a lot of what I'm trying to achieve. Like, for example, if I'm trying to establish relationships with certain other professionals in property or estates and then they start indicating trade-offs, financial trade-offs or benefits and things like that, my ethics comes in and, like I said, holds me back. Mm, definitely. Yes. <laughs> it's a showstopper. <laughs> it is. So so that's what I was saying before that um, uh, I do suffer a lot because of it but um, – uh, when I'm told that I will fail for that reason, um, I will often say, if I fail, I fail. Mm. But I'm, I will not compromise on that. Yeah. So I want to talk to you a bit more about um, your other business as well. <laughs> yes. Your surrogacy. My surrogacy, yes. And, the, and because you are on the board Mm-hmm. Um, so I want you to tell me a little more about that, but also just, you know, how you got involved in that and what happened there, like, and okay. what's going on for that? Because it's been, yes. it's a very sort of, uh, it's different forward thinking. Yes. And, um, so it, it, it's very different to what I do with property in estates, which is why it is another business. Um, it's called Sydney Surrogacy Lawyers, um, and it provides, uh, legal services for intended parents or surrogates and possibly their partner going through surrogacy. Um, and most people know what surrogacy is, but for those who don't, it's where a woman will altruistically, in Australia, altruistically, um, carry a child for um, a couple or a single person even um, who would like to have their own child. Um, so how this all started uh, just rewind back a little bit is it goes back to my science days. Uh, so as a former scientist, I used to work in an IVF lab um, and I was an IVF scientist and um, I was heavily involved in the donor program. Um, there wasn't, I can't say I remember much surrogacy at that point, but um that's when all the um, changes in law came about. It was a 2007 bill and then it became, um, I believe, a 2008 Act and that was the Assisted Reproductive Technology Act. And um, that's when I was studying law. Um, but I did get 
uh, quite involved. My boss was interested that I was studying law and he gave me the act to read and I'm like, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. But I, I got involved in the company's policies and procedures. Um, eventually I left there to pursue a career in law and I still miss the lab. I miss it so, so much. Um, but it got to a point, I think around 2014-ish, I can't really remember when it was, um, I contacted the institute again and said, I miss it so much, can I be part of the ethics committee? So they took me on board and shortly after that, um, and I think that was 2015 or 16, um, I became chair of the um, the the ethics committee. Well, they call it Human Research Ethics Committee. So what we do there is um, we have two main roles. We have um, an approval side of things and we have an advisory side of things. So with the approvals, we look at research projects in the within the IVF Institute. So we either look at new projects uh, or we review ongoing projects or, um, you know, projects have finished and we just clo close that off. But we need to make sure that we monitor that for ethics, that everything is going smoothly and following um, all the guidelines. So is that really looking at what the outcomes of that research have or um, where this line of reproductive services is going? Uh, we look at the – it's – not so much the outcome. We want to know what the outcome was. But when we're looking at something new or ongoing, we just need to make sure that there are no ethical issues that we can see. So that's the um, approval side. The advisory side comes in where um, there might be ethical issues within the company and their patients are raised. Um and doctors will raise a question and say to the ethics committee, um, this has come up or we envisage this might come up and it might be hypothetical. What do you think of this? Because um, we want to know what to say to our patients. We want to know where you stand on this. So tell me what the biggest ethical issue is for surrogacy. With surrogacy in Australia, it needs to be altruistic. That means it cannot be a commercial arrangement where the surrogate or her partner or someone she knows gets paid or gifted um, or rewarded in some way. Um, so at the moment the, the biggest challenge in that space is trying to find surrogates. Because it's permitted um, to occur in an altruistic manner, uh, the perception is surrogacy is not allowed, which is not correct. It is allowed. Just don't pay someone. <laughs> um, so, but that, that covers like you can pay for medical costs. Is that what it is? Yes. There are some, aren't there? There's some payment, but it's not to benefit the individual. It's um, more classed as reimbursements mm. and it's reimbursements for actual costs that were incurred or actual losses that have happened. Um so because there's this perception that it's not permitted, there's a lot of overseas transactions that are happening um, and even just to go overseas is is not permitted. Um, and even going overseas is not permitted um, 
say for New South Wales residents, um, it will specifically say commercial arrangements by New South Wales resident is not permitted. Because that's delving to the whole international laws too then, isn't it? Like does that cross over some sort of jurisdiction when you leave Australia? Well, if, by um, entering into an act that is permitted, that sorry, by entering into an act that is specifically prohibited by New South Wales law and being a New South Wales resident, coming back here, it is deemed um, that that law has been broken. Wow. Whether they chase it or not is another story. <laughs> and do you find that there's a lot of um, women, like I can, I can imagine, um, you know, there's a lot of women out there that would, you know, would have a baby for their friends if they couldn't have one. Like you've, you've is well, that yeah, I mean, I speak to people and they're like, oh, I didn't know surrogacy was even allowed. Yeah. If I knew earlier, I would have done it. I know. Um, so I'm thinking, I can't do it right now, but at some point I'm thinking I'd like to sort of start some sort of project to raise that awareness because mm. there are women who, who would do it. Yeah, especially when you're seeing your friends who, you know, they're, they're either having failed pregnancies or their attempts, you know, to get pregnant are just zero. Um, yeah, you, and you've got a perfectly working uterus. I think there's a, a whole different level on yeah, that. Yeah, it, it is It is very heartbreaking um, because sometimes people hear the stories, um, I know a person who knows a person and they can't have a child and that's even if they even shared that news. Mm. Um, but if you're not in their position, you just don't know what it's like. I'm not in their position. I don't know what it's like and I see the heartbreak. Um, and then there's uh, um, the the concept of, oh, well, if you can't have children, you can't have children, bad luck. And I, it's just a little bit. Um, Black can, and white really, isn't oh, it? Oh, geez, how can you say that? <laughs> uh, look, if you really believe that, okay, you believe that, but it's have you actually been in a position that position to make that comment? Mm. Very hard, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, and, so, and our hearts do go out to those sort of people who are struggling with that because I think it's been kept private for so long. And they've been, I mean, there have been some great books that have come out about IVF journeys and surrogacies and, you know, getting the children. Um, but I guess we've also got the um, the same sex, you know, where mm. th- those couples, especially men who yes. literally physically can't reproduce. Yes. Um, so are you seeing that demand yes. grow now? Yes. Yeah. Yes, um, so I do have some same-sex male couples um, who have gone through the surrogacy journey and are still going through the surrogacy journey and um, sitting down with them. It's usually Zoom calls because it's um, they're, they're not all located within the area. So when I do um, my Ellison Legal Property and Estates, it's more within the area. But when I do surrogacy, it's more statewide and even nationwide. Um, so most of that is done via Zoom. But even that, you can just see the the happiness on their face at just the prospect of becoming parents. Mm. And why shouldn't they? Why shouldn't they have Brings that? joy. Feeling? It does. <laughs> you, you just see Children it. You feel joy. it. Yes. The, the meetings are always so, um, always in the calls, feeling so much excitement. I don't know what the happy hormone is, but whatever it is, it's that oxytocin or something. It's something. It's yeah. crazy. <laughs> it's, it's cra- and it's crazy. It's a, it's a whole admiration of what your body can do to create some, you know, another human. Like it's, yeah. Yeah, so. because most of the time if it's same-sex males, it's going to be one or the other who's um, the child's going to be half their genetic 
genetic mm. materials. So with surrogacy, they'll find an egg donor and they'll find a surrogate. It's um, uh, traditional surrogacies where the uh, surrogate is using her own egg. Um, but going through the clinic where I step in is um, gestational surrogacy. So it's a different egg um, to the birth mother. That's, oh, yeah. Okay. So in terms of that, like what are the types of things that they need to consider when they're looking at like these contracts? Because obviously that's what this is, is a contract for somebody else to have yeah. your child. Yeah. And that's where you step in. Yes. So basically once once there's a child born, they go in uh, to the court and get a parentage order. But that, that court is not going to give that parentage order unless the agreement was entered into. And to enter into the agreement, certain tick boxes need to be completed. And part of that is getting the legal advice. So part of the legal advice is uh, the big one is don't pay your surrogate, reimburse. <laughs> That's, that's the main one. It's an altruistic agreement. It's not commercial. Um, and then it's going through all the other um, requirements within the surrogacy agreement. There is a lot to think about. And I often wondered if all parents should really inter- enter into one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought about that. <laughs> hmm, I think there might be something in that because you might be very busy after <laughs> Oh, yes. because that's, that is it. Like it's it's actually going in and understanding what your role and responsibility is towards that child that you're taking on. But anybody can have babies and well, they. Yeah, well, with the role and responsibilities to the child, that's more the, I, I would think that's more the psychologist side of it. Um, but see, I don't really cover that in the legal side. They, legal, you can't really sort of say to the parent, it's your role to <laughs> do this for the child. But um, it's the rights and responsibilities um, to the child, um, say for succession laws, if you pass mm. away, child's not yours, the child's not um, a person who can benefit Um so this is where my will side come come into it. Yeah. Do you want to have a will before the parentage order, update the will once the parentage order has been made? Um, and it's the exact reverse if you're the surrogate. If you're having that child and the parentage order hasn't been made, that child can claim under your estate. So, so that's something else that they need to consider. Um, but at the end of the day, that agreement is not enforceable. That's oh. probably the most important <laughs> Um, piece of information they need to know besides the monetary component is that it's not enforceable. The only part that is is the monetary component. So if a surrogate um, does not hand over the, like sign the documents for the printage order, um, she is the the birth mother and at law that's her child. Um, So... uh, Usually at first the concern is what if she doesn't give it up? Mm. But that I've, I've not seen that, I've not heard that. Um, maybe if it was a commercial arrangement in overseas and, I don't know, ransom or what, it might be. But um, here I've not, I've not heard that happening. It mm. might be more likely if there's a problem with the child um, and there's some disease that the intended parents feel like they can't take on that child, there's probably more risk in that. And if they say we don't want to carry on with this, terminate, at the end of the day the surrogate has full bodily autonomy and if she doesn't terminate, um, 
she has the child and then if the parents don't take on the child, that's that's a potential issue. But for mm. the surrogate to say, no, I'm keeping the baby, why? If it's an altruistic um, um, arrangement, why would she do that? <laughs> Could go get a donor if mm. she wanted to or um, some people would say have a Tinder surprise. So well, It certainly <laughs> sounds like you've got your work cut out for you and it's all quite complex and <laughs> I'm glad there's someone that, can, you know, can oversee it and look after it but I think it's a very emerging mm. area with the changing dynamics and uh, demographics of our society. Well, it's more um, uh, spoken in conversation and uh, slowly becoming more accepted, especially with the same-sex couples as well. Um, sometimes um, the the same-sex couples might try to tread carefully with what they say and I'm like, say what you want. I'm, there's no judgment here. Just say it. Um, or sometimes if I'm just having a conversation with someone, I will just talk normally like it's a normal conversation and there's nothing to be ashamed of and then I see people's faces and I really don't care if, they, if they're going to show judgment behind what I'm saying but the whole purpose I'm talking in a normal context of this is no big deal is because this is no big deal. Everybody is the same. Let's just stop showing judgment towards each other. Mm. So at the end of the day, what it is I'm trying to achieve is to provide services in the legal arena that surround uh, property matters and estate matters within the firm Ellison Legal and um, legal advice on surrogacy matters and that's with Sydney Surrogacy Lawyers. Um, so if there's anyone um, within the area for property and estates or um, anyone else nationwide that needs help with uh, surrogacy matters, I am going to be here for you because um, that's the whole point of what it is I'm I'm doing, I'm trying to achieve, is to stand in there, to stand in, in place of the client and explain things the best way that I can. Well, I think you provide a very supportive service um, and it's, you know, it is uh, very ethical and it certainly sits in the bounds of, you know, finding, you know, um, doing the right thing by the client. Yes. And um, in terms of justice and um, getting what they getting what they need and what they want. So uh, I'd like to thank you for joining me today and thank sharing you. more about you. Um, I think we've got to know you very, very well and uh, you've, you cover a lot of areas, but I love your two, you know, particular areas um, because yeah. I think eventually they all do end up in the one. Yes. Thank you so much, Pip, for having me. <laughs>